I'm going to give an introduction first before we go inside. So that will be today, and then tomorrow we're going to start inside. Hopefully with a... I don't think that there is a version of this mimer with English. I'm looking to find one with Nakudas, because I don't want to give you, like, just... Um, but we might end up with the original text of the mimer, which... Uh, original as in the printed version. It's all, almost all the mimer are, are translated into, into Hebrew. So... Okay, this week's Parsha is Vayera, right? And so I was looking at the Torah R for this week and not happening. There's one mimer on Torah R and it's very, very long and very complicated and not, not for now. Um, so I started to look into different mimer of the Rebbe and then I remembered a mimer that I learned, I think it was two years ago, not from this week's Parsha, but that discusses the Akedah, which is in this week's Parsha, Akedah Sietzchah. And discusses a, actually a very, very prominent topic that comes up within Hasidus that's not often spoken about, which is this idea of tests. Hashem testing Avram and Hashem testing us. So we're going to talk about that and we're going to learn about tests in this mimer. It's based on a Pasuk from Tehillim. And we're going to get into that tomorrow. But first, I want to introduce us to this concept of tests. Okay? And in order to do that, we need to know that. Different, depending on what mimer you're learning, depending on what Rebbe you're learning from, what holiday it is, you're going to get very, very different messages about what the purpose of creation is, okay? So you can end up learning one mimer, and it's like, the purpose of creation is teshuva, right? The purpose of creation is Torah and mitzvahs. The purpose of creation is Torah, not mitzvahs. The purpose of creation is mitzvahs, not Torah. And every time you learn that mimer, it's said with such a conviction that you're like, okay, that's it. This is the purpose. This is why I'm here. This is, you know, and then you're going to learn another thing that says something else. Totally. That's just kind of the reality of, of um, learning Hasidus. And it was the reality. It's the reality of living with the Rebbe because with the Rebbe every single day was like the ultimate day in the calendar was today. Right? If you learn. Like today, it's like there's no other day like today. Why? Oh, because of this and because of this. Um, there was once a Bukhar sitting with the Rebbe at a Purim Soda. In the early years, the Rebbe would... Um, I'm pretty sure you would eat the Purim Soda in upstairs by the Friedrich Rebbe's apartment um, after when he was Rebbe, but he would be upstairs um, with his wife and his sister-in-law and mother-in-law. And I think there were Bacharim, there were Bacharim who were allowed to come. And there was once a Bachar who turned to the Rebbe and asked him a question. It was a time where you were able to ask Rebbe questions. The Rebbe didn't speak um, when he was at these tables because there was an empty chair left for the Frida Rebbe and the Rebbe sat as if the Frida Rebbe was there, like very bitter. But if you asked Rebbe a question, he would answer. And there was a Bachar who once asked him a question about Shavuos. And the Rebbe said, it's Purim now, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know about Shavuos. For the Rebbe, wherever, whatever day it was, like that was just the most important. There was no other day in the calendar that was more important than that day. Um, so it's the same thing. Whatever topic we're discussing um, about the purpose of the world and why we're here, that's the most important thing. And it's the highest. Um, but the truth is that there are four levels and there is a hierarchy when it comes to these levels. There's a mimer by the Rebbe Rashab, where he says there that the purpose of the soul descending into this world is bishvil, is for the purpose of nisyonis, tests. Okay? 
And this mimer that we're going to be learning by the Rebbe, which is based on a mimer from the Friedrich Rebbe, discusses this topic of tests and why it's actually the ultimate purpose for why we came into this world. But before we discuss that, I wanted to discuss a little bit of the hierarchy because we are going to be learning different mimer. I'm saying different things, right? Kind of the whole elo, right? When we were learning about teshuva, it's like the highest for, you know, the purpose of why we're here is for teshuva, right? And it's true. There's a level where that is true. So there are four kind of purposes and reasons for, well, there's more, but four main ones, for why our neshama is here in this world. And there are different levels. And we're going to see that the nisyan is, is actually the highest one. So the lowest level, okay, we'll say lowest I, I, I don't know what I mean when I say lowest, but, but let's start with the first, okay? The first reason for why the neshama came down into this world and didn't just stay up in, in Gan Eden and the purpose for why we have to, you know, be in Golis, etc., etc. The first reason is for something that's called Yechudim, okay? Yechudim means unities, joining together. It's a topic, that, it's a very Kabbalistic idea, Yechudim. Yechudim is the idea that when we learn Torah, and when we do mitzvahs on a spiritual level, what does it mean to do mitzvahs on a spiritual level? It's referring to the intention, the kavana behind a mitzvah. So when we have a kavana for a certain mitzvah, we learn Torah. So it's dealing with Hashem in this world, but in a more spiritual way, not totally confronting the physicality, but rather intellectually kind of confronting, right? Confronting our reality through learning Torah and having kavana and mitzvahs. We are achieving something that's called yechudim. Yechudim is unity. So what does that mean? That every single time we do this, we build up the vessels in the world of Atzillus. We make them more and more strong. And the more, the bigger, you, the bigger a vessel, how would you finish that? The bigger a vessel, the more, the more, like it's brought down, the more can fit in it, right? The bigger the vessel, the more it's expanded, the more that can fit. So when we learn Torah and we have Kavana for mitzvahs, we expand the vessels. And automatically when we expand the vessels, more light is able to go through. And when more light is able to go through, the world is filled with more light. Starting off in the world of Atzillus and coming all the way down. And this is the process of what's called Yechudim. It's a very foundational, fundamental concept within Kabbalah and Hasidus. This concept of Yechudim, we say every single day, I think I might have, well, I'm speaking very fast. I think I might, might have mentioned this before, that before, when we say Baruch She'omar, we say, L'shem Yechud Kutshebrichei, O'shchin Tel Yachadov, right? L'shem Yechud Kutshebrichei, L'shem Yechud Kutshebrichei, O'shchin Tel What does that mean? For the name of Yechud, of the joining together of Kutshebrichei, of Hashem's light, and his shekhinah, and his vessels. And every single time we're davening, and we're doing something on a spiritual kind of level, davening is already going into the next level a little bit. When we serve Hashem on a, in a spiritual level, we are achieving what's called yechudim. So the first purpose of why our, our soul came down into this world is for Tyre and Mitzvahs. Tyre and Mitzvahs achieve something called yechudim. It expands the vessels. By expanding the vessels, there's more light drawn down into not only are into not only the world of Atsilas, but as a result of that, into all of the worlds. And the world is filled with more light. That's the first level. That's the first reason for why we're here. Tyrant mitzvahs. And you're going to see all over the place, when you learn Tanya, when you learn different parts of Hasidus, the reason why we're here is for Tyra, the reason why we're here is for mitzvahs, because of the Chodim. Okay? Bless you. And that's something that only we can do. Next reason why we're here is something that we've been speaking a lot about lately when we spoke about Mayim Rabim when we spoke about uh, Parshas Lech Lecha 
And that is what we called Avaitas Habirurim. Right? We spoke about Avaitas Habirurim. Avaitas Habirurim. What is Avaitas Habirurim? Anybody remember? Rack your brains. So the truth is, we haven't learned about Taihu yet, right? Taihu at Tikkun in this class? No. I think we learned about it in the summer, right? Did we? Okay, so... Did we learn it here? I think maybe very, very briefly we, like, sped through it. So... Okay, we've spoken about Avaita Sabirur, but the truth is that the premise and the foundation of the ideas of is Tayo and Tikkun, which maybe I'll, uh, I'll discuss with you guys today, because it's important. Birurim. Beis Yud, Reish Vav, Reish Yud Mem. Birurim. Birurim means refinement. It's the Avaita of refinement. And we said that what is Avaita Sabirurim? When you actually do mitzvahs or serve Hashem in this physical world. Because what you're doing is you're refining the physicality, and we spoke about this, you're extracting the godliness from it and leaving behind the clip of the shell that covers over. That's Avaita Sabirum. The idea, the Haskalah of Avaita Sabirum, right? The Haskalah, the intellectual behind the scenes of Tarah and Mitzvahs, is Yechudim. That every time we do Mitzvahs, spiritual Kavanah Mitzvahs, we learn Tarah, we expand the vessels more light into the world. Yes? So this is technically a higher level than. Yes, and we'll discuss why now. Because of Taiwan Tikkun. So let me explain that. It's important. It's an, it's an important pre, uh, preface. So this is the Haskalah behind it. We've spoken about Avaita Sabirim, right? The power of actually involving ourselves within physicality, extracting the sparks from the physicality and elevating them is the purpose for why we're here, right? Um, why is that more powerful than Yechudim? The answer is because of the world of Taiwan Tikkun. So we learned about the four spiritual worlds, right? The world of Atsilus, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. These are the four spiritual worlds as, as we know them. Kabbalah explains to us that before Hashem created Atsilas, as we know Atsilas, which is with lights and with vessels, the light has its own sense of existence, the vessels have their own sense of existence, they perfectly merge together to be able to shine. And the world of Atsilas is a world where there's just pure light, right? Betel. Before the world of Atsilus as we know it, in the world of Tikkun, this world is called the world of Tikkun, rectification, there was another Atsilus. And that Atsilus is called Taihu. Taihu means chaos. So before we have this world of Tikkun, which is the world of fixing, the world of rectification, we have the world of chaos. It's almost like Hashem did a bit of an experiment with Atsilus. What he did, what was different than the Atsilus as we know it, is that the Atsilus as we know it has a limited amount of light going into a limited amount of vessel they are able to meet each other and fuse as one so that the light is completely unfiltered and shining through the atzillus in the world of taihu the lights were so powerful that the vessels were not able to actually contain them another difference is that the sephiris, as they exist in the world of Atsilas, you see this whole board over here with the sephiris, there's the hierarchy, there's Chochmah, which is the beginning, there's Malchus, which is the end, there's a hierarchy. Chochmah is the highest, and then it goes a little bit lower, a little bit lower, right? And they're all connected. You see how they're all connected? I think we spoke about this, right? The 32, was it? Yeah. It was in this class, right? Yeah. The 32, like, Chutim that connect them together, the, the 22 letters of the alphabet, and the, <laughs> right? <laughs> What happened? 32 is your number. Oh, it's your number? We had 32 was the street number for our Shabbos. 
um, oh. lunch and everywhere I go with the girls. You find 32? 32 bus, the 32 street. That's so funny. So we used that's so funny. The truth is the number in Kabbalah, there's like this number that's actually 137. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. The Gamatria of Kabbalah is 137. American equivalent. And there's this um in um what's it called? The the sci- the science of the what's it called? Adam, that I've been, Adams. Um oh, yeah. I've been speaking about it. Um quantum mechanics? Yeah, quantum mechanics. There's this number, 137. There's a book called 137. Um which I have not read. <laughs> it's like I wasn't gonna order it, and then I was reading the reviews. It's like pure scientific, but about Carl Jung and this, and 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 how they learned Kabbalah. Pardon? That's up. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, could you read it for me and tell me a little bit about it? It's called 137. Carl Jung and someone else in their quest for like, and Carl Jung actually learned Kabbalah. You know that he said in an interview toward the end of his life that the Margaret of Mesrich was one of his biggest teachers. And was, yeah. That's crazy, I've studied this stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so there's this number 137, which also in the Kabbalah world and also in the scientific world has this like, but 32, listen, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a gematria for heart. For well. live, that's live, right. right. Yes, live. <laughs> um, so, so as we see here, the, the sephiras are connected with each other. And Chochmah, the Sephira of Chochmah, has within it all ten Sephiras. There's within Chochmah, there's ten Sephiras. Within Bina, there's ten Sephiras. Every Sephira is included one within the other. This concept, this term in Kabbalah is called Hiskalalus. Hiskalalus means integration, but in a holy way. There's another term that's called Taruvus, which means integration in an unholy way. That's the term that's used for this physical world, where there's holiness and unholiness mixed up together in an unorganized mess. That's this world. That's Taruvus. Hiskalalus means integration, but it means integration of holiness. So there's, in the world of Atsilus, there are lights that are made to match the vessels so that they can actually work together and not shatter the vessels and not overpower them. And also the lights work together. They're included one within the other. And we're going to discuss that more when we come to Sephira to Omer, where we break down the Sephiras into each Sephira as it's connected to the other. Chochmah of Bina, not, not, sorry, Chesed of Gevurah, etc. So that's the world of Tikkun. The world of Tohu, each Sephira existed completely independent one of the other. There wasn't a hierarchy as we see it here. It was almost like a circle. Each one had its own place and shone in an infinite way and did not make room for the other. And the consequence of this was what we call Shvirata Kalim, the breaking of the vessels. Because the lights were each infinite in their own way, and you can't have like multiple infinities making no room for the other infinity. That just causes chaos, right? It's called the world of Tohu. And as a result, these lights, which were so powerful, shattered the vessels. The world ceased to be. And God has then created the world of Tikkun. And into the world of Tikkun fell the shattered vessels of Tohu, and the vessels had tiny, tiny sparks of the light that were still attached to the vessel that fell down with it. So what fell down from Tohu into this world, on the one hand, is the vessels and the broken vessels. And on the other hand, it's the sparks that were attached to the vessels, those sparks of light. The light and the vessels in the world of Tohu are way, 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 way more powerful than the lights and the vessels in the world of Tikkun. That was their downfall. They were so powerful that they weren't able to actually exist in a, in a cohesive way that's called a world. But that lofty level fell into this world. And there's a rule in Hasidus. The higher something is in its source, 
the lower down it falls. It's also just a practical rule, right? If you, I don't know why I always think of this example. If you're standing in a, in a, in a field of mud and you have a diamond in your hand and you drop it from where you're standing into the floor, it's going to like, you know, fall and make a little dent. But if you take a diamond from an aeroplane over a field and you drop it, it's going to, it's going to fall right down into the earth, right? So the higher something starts off, the lower down it falls. Another example, that's, I'm pretty sure it's brought in Hasidus' example, is um, a tree. That a tree, when it falls, the top of the tree falls the furthest away from its source, from the roots, right? So that's the rule. The higher something starts off in its source, when it falls, it falls down to the lowest thing. And Hanal gave the example that like a tall building, like the tallest brick falls to this. It's kind of like the tree. Yeah, yeah. That's it, that's it. Um, so you could see that with everything in, in, in the world. The higher it starts off, if it falls, we see that also with people. That the higher somebody is in his status, when they fall, they usually fall the lowest, right? When, when somebody who's in a position of, of great power, that abuse of power looks way worse than somebody who's just a regular dude doing something bad, right? Um, the higher something starts off, the lower it has a potential to fall. <laughs> I only know this because of my name, but the copper, silver, and golds all relate to like the wicked or the Russian vanity and the no, 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 it's not that. It's like the Balshuva, the righteous, and the wicked. And I know gold's the Balshuva, and it comes gold literally comes from a lower point in the earth. Oh, really? That's so interesting. Comes from lower than silver. Yeah. Silver is probably tzaddikim, and yeah. copper is rishayim. Yeah. And then I think copper just like kind of stays at the. I meant to look it up. I didn't look so it up. I didn't have to do it. So right. gold comes from the deepest place. Gold's lower side Okay. Very cool. And then um, it ends up being more valuable once you get it. Well, yeah, something like the harder something is yeah. to get, also the more valuable, right? And we're going to speak about um, Balchuva here and, and where that falls in. When we speak about Avaita Sabiru, when, the, when these vessels fell, they fell into the lowest place. What's the lowest place within Atsilas, Brit, Sira, spiritual Asiya, physical Asiya? What's the lowest place, the most concealed part of the world, of all the spiritual worlds? Physicality. The physicality, nature, physical objects are the most mundane, crass form of godliness that exists, the most concealed. And those sparks and those vessels fell into physicality. They're revealed to us as they're not revealed to us as godliness, though. Right. So, so what is Avaita Sabirurim? Looking at something that's just pure concealment, right? I mean, just like, you know, a book. That's made of paper from trees and leather from cows, right? Like, what is that? There's no God here. And then we open up the book and we pray from it. And we elevate not only ourselves in the process of praying, we elevate the book. We elevate the ink. We elevate the paper from the tree. We elevate the cow that gave us leather. And so what we're doing, what does it mean we're elevating it? We're extracting the sparks that fell into the lowest place, that fell from toe. Those sparks are extremely powerful, even higher than the lights and vessels in the world of Atsilas that were uniting and expanding when we do Tyre and Mitzvahs. So that's why it's considered a level up. It's considered a level up when we 
use physicality and to serve God and reveal the godliness within it. So when we, so what does that look like practically? When we do mitzvahs with physical things, right? So there's certain mitzvahs. There's the kavana of the mitzvah that does yichudim. Then there's physical mitzvahs, right? Taking an esrog and taking a lulav and making a brach on it and shaking it, right? That's we also have kavana. So our kavana when we're doing that, our intention creates yichudim, expands the vessels, creates more light, and our action reveals the sparks within those things that were trapped, elevates them, and raises that physical object up to its source, to the level of taihu, and in the process raises us up as well. So we're actually being raised up higher when we're using physicality to a higher place, to a higher source than we are when we're, let's say, learning Torah or, um, or having spiritual intentions, right? <laughs> or let's say meditating and doing like more spiritual things. So that's, does that make sense why it's higher? So that's, um, that's the world of Tohu. We're going to get into it more. We're going to read about it more in different um, Maimarim throughout the year. That's a general idea, that that world was not sustainable. It says, Abone Oilam... Oh, gosh, I'm not remembering it. Hashem creates worlds and he destroys them. Abone Oilam or something. Hashem creates worlds and destroys them. And the idea is Hashem didn't make a mistake when he made the world of Tikkun. It wasn't like, oh, whoops, this didn't work. Let's try again. That doesn't happen with Hashem. Hashem did that on purpose so that this world, which is the rectified world, Olam Tikkun, right? Tikkun Olam, the world of Tikkun Olam, we're rectifying the broken world of Tohu in this world. We're gathering together all those sparks that fell so low. We're putting those vessels all back together to create whole vessels that are able to actually contain God's light in this world. It wasn't a mistake. It was created for the purpose of being destroyed so that this world could look the way it looks. So we can do avodat abirurim. We can refine the physicality in this world. And in the process of doing that, we can raise up the physicality and ourselves along with it. That's the second one that we've spoken about, Avaidas Abirum, we'll speak about it again. And there are pl- many places in Chassidus that will say the purpose of the Neshama descending into this world is for the purpose of Avaidas Abirum. Okay? And that's true and that's great. Then there's another level. Okay? Third level. Pardon? Say again? Related to Torah studies? The third level? Yeah. Torah studies is the first level, Yechudim. When we learn Torah, we expand the vessels. Uh, we, we do Yechudim. We, we expand the vessels of Atsilas so that more light can come in. And then we're uniting. So we're uniting more light with more vessel. It's more about the process of, like, again, how we talked about uh, learning how to do the mitzvahs and only then doing them. That's kind of the process. Um, yeah. Um, I think that when you learn Torah for the purpose of being able to do the mitzvah, that's already considered a higher level mm-hmm. than if you're learning than if you're learning Torah for the sake of learning. As in, as in it's, it's already dealing with the physicality. It's preparing you for doing a physical mitzvah as opposed to learning Torah for the sake of learning Torah, which is extremely important. Um, an example for Yechudim, like in the physical world, um, it's not that we're making, we're not, we're not making a godliness bigger. We're actually making more godliness. Yechudim means we're uniting more light with more vessels so that there's more individual lights shining. We see that with um, when somebody builds, builds like let's say body builds, right? Does weights and stuff. Um, you could think suddenly their body's growing, right? Their muscles are actually. Is that thunder? I think so. Interesting. No. Okay. No, you don't think it's thunder? Okay. Wait, let me see. 
the weather, you know, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, so you, you could think, oh, so suddenly this person's body has gotten bigger, so their cells, which makes up our body, must have expanded. But it's not actually true. Our cells do not expand when we grow muscle. We just create more cells, right? Mm-hmm. You familiar with that? I haven't learned any of these things from an actual, like, just I learned them as Mashalim. <laughs> so, um, so it's nice to hear that that's true. Um, so that's what we're actually doing. We're doing Yechotim. We're creating more and more and more and more individual lights. We're not, we're not making light bigger, more and adding more light and adding more light and adding more light into the world, right? And um, that's an incredible thing. So that's an example for Yechidim. We're extracting the sparks that are actually sourced in a higher place even than Atsilas. We're extracting them in the process of extracting the physical object that is being extracted from. The person that's doing the extracting gets raised up to the level of its source, which is the level of Taihu. Okay? That's Avaita Sabirum. What's the third level? What's even higher then doing mitzvahs with physical things, or knowing Hashem in all our ways, bringing Hashem into the workplace and into our mundane life, which is all of our disabilities, what would be a higher level than that? Teshuvah. We learned about Teshuvah and Elo. Because there's a catch, there's a downside, there's a limit, no, they're not a catch or down, there's a limitation to our disabilities. What's the limitation of our disabilities? What are we limited to? The physical. What within the physical? Um, like that's trapped there. Like that's trapped? Yeah. In what way? Uh, it's concealed, like with Kweepa. Right. Uh, right, <laughs> yes. So I'll take it one step further. Yeah. Light that's trapped, concealed with clipper, but in a way that it's able to be extracted. That's called clippus niger. Um, you guys have heard of clippus niger? We've yeah. discussed it. Clippus, there's clippus there's niger, which is a physical object that has a spark of God within it that we are able to extract. So we would call that neutral. Clippus niger would be neutral physical objects. Okay? Um, and another word for that would be mutar. Mutar means, you know Hebrew? Able, allowed. But mutar also means matir asurim. What's matir asurim? We say every morning, bless God for matir asurim. Something that we're... Uh, allowed to do, not, not allowed. Like, <laughs> mutar and asur, no? Yeah, what's matir? Mutar means it's allowed, yeah. but it comes from the word matir, which means to untie. Matir Asur means he who unties those who were tied, who unbinds, who unbinds the bound. Yeah? Yeah? That's what we're saying when we say Matir Asurim. And uh, the, the very basic idea of that is because when we were sleeping, we, weren't, we didn't have control over our movements. And um, when we're awake, now we're, we're opened up. He, he, he opens us, God opens us up. There's also obviously deeper meanings behind that as well. Um, so Matir means to untie. So when we say that something is mutar, when we say something is klipas noga, it's a klipa, it's concealed, but in a way of noga. Noga is a specific type of light. It's a name for a specific type of light of Hashem. It's a klipa that's noga. It's a klipa that shines. It's a klipa that's allowed. It's untied. Yes, there's holiness and there's unholiness in the same object, but the holiness within that object is not bound and chained down to the unholiness. Yes. Is kosher food technically klipas noga? Exactly. Kosher food would be, would be Klippas Noga. Kosher food during the week. Kosher food on Shabbos would be a mitzvah. Kedusha. Okay? Um, but yeah, on a regular day, if we have food and it's kosher, it, we could do bad things with the food, right? I, I, like, 
I don't want to start thinking of examples, but we could, right? We can eat it in a way that's completely not um, But it has the potential also to be elevated. And it's mutar. God says, this is allowed. This has a kosher stamp on it. You can eat it. You should eat it with the right intention so that it can actually elevate the sparks, but you can eat it. So it's mutar means it's untied. It's klipas noga. It's neutral. It could go this way or this way, but you're able to put it this way. You're able to elevate it. That's klipas noga. And that... The altar of says in Tanya is everything under the sun, basically. Almost everything that we come across is Klipas Noga, except for the exceptions. That which is Asur. What does Asur mean? Not allowed. But what does Asur also mean? Matir Asurim. He, he who unties those who are tied. Asur means tied. Tied down to the unholiness. What does that mean? That means that there is Kedusha within this object, within this physical thing. For example, non-kosher food. How do we know this kedusha in this? How do we know that there's godliness within this non-kosher food? Because it exists, right? If it exists, if it's here, it's got God in it. Because everything is God. However, the godliness within that object is so tied down to the unholiness within that object that God says it's a sword. Don't touch it. The way that you can deal with this is by not dealing with it. That's how you elevate it. Because by not dealing with something, you don't give it chayut. You don't give it life. When klipa doesn't get life and energy from kedusha, it dies. And so by not dealing with it, it dies. So that almost even falls into the category of avodah tabirim. There's a flash of how we turn off electricity for, in Gaza. Say again? How we turn off electricity in Gaza. How did we turn it off? You know how we're like stopping our support in Gaza? Yeah. It's like... Not, okay, not supplying... Yes, not supplying terrorists. There you go. By not supplying the terrorists... By not supplying terrorists with food... They'll die. They'll die. There you go. So so like literally that's what's going on when we don't... That's what happens when we don't deal directly, but rather we deal in... So God says... Everything needs to be elevated. But the way you're going to elevate this thing is by not dealing with it. By staying away from it. And through you using your power to stay away from it, you are indirectly elevating it. Okay, we spoke briefly about this with Adam and Chava, that that's how the whole world actually worked before, the, before they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that everything was like, just don't do any sin and all of the people will just die because it's only able to live off of your sin. Um, that's how we're supposed to deal with people clippers at space. What if we actually deal with the Klippas Klippas Atmes, right? We, God for we eat the non-kosher food. We do the thing that was Asur, right? So the altar says in Tanya that it doesn't matter how many good intentions a person has, if he thought he was eating something perfectly kosher and he had all the intentions in the world to use that energy in his body to serve God and he then does go and serve God with the energy from that food, he says, too bad. If that food wasn't kosher, even if you didn't know about it, it's having an actual negative effect on your body, okay? So what happens, which happens to all of us, if we do deal with these, if we sin, okay? If we use Gimel Kippur Satmeas for our own self in a way that we're not supposed to, then we have Teshuvah, right? What is Teshuvah? We've spoken about this. Teshuvah is that powerful drive within us that comes from an extremely deep place that says, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm struggling and I'm struggling and I keep going back to this thing that is a sort that I'm not allowed to do and I don't want to do it anymore. And it's this power that is fueled by the sin. 
It's a love of God and a yearning for a return, a yearning for the truth, a yearning to do things differently that is fueled and powered by the fact that we are trapped in the sin. So the sin is actually fueling this yearning and this return to Hashem and this teshuva. Right? I always bring the example, who's going to run faster? Someone running towards a million dollars or someone running from a fire that's looking at his feet. If a fire is looking at your feet, you're going to run faster. We're going to run that, that power and drive to run towards God in a way that is the fastest that we can ever reach him is fueled by the fire, by the sin that's licking at our feet. And so when we're able to do teshuva from sin, that sin becomes elevated because it's what actually motivated us to return to God and to return to God in such a powerful way that the place where Abba stands at Sadiq himself can't even stand. What enabled us to do that? The sin actually enabled us to do that. So when we do teshuva, <laughs> when we do teshuva, the sin becomes elevated and the sparks that were trapped and that were actually tied down into that sin become elevated. Now, we cannot... We cannot sin with the intent of doing teshuva. Say, oh, I want to elevate this delicious, I don't know, cheeseburger. So I'm going to eat it and then I'm going to do teshuva for eating. It doesn't work that way. The Gemara clearly says that doesn't work. When you do a sin with the intention, oh, I'm just going to do teshuva later. But when we do a sin because we're people and we fall and we fall into that which is tied down. And then that fuels us to actually reconnect to God in a way that we wouldn't have even been able to, if not, then that cheeseburger becomes elevated. And it becomes elevated in a way that is even more powerful than when we do Avaida Sabirurim. Why? Because we said the highest source falls into the lowest place. The lowest form of physicality is that which is Asur. And when we are able to do Teshuva and that spark is extracted, that spark is from an even higher place than the sparks that exist within Klipas Noga. And that name for these things that are Asur is called Gimel Klipot Hatmeot. The three unholy klipot. Okay? These are, there is klipas noga. There's considered to be four levels of klipa. There's klipas noga, neutral klipa. It conceals God. It's physical. We don't see the truth when we look at it. But there's a spark there that's mutar that's able to be extracted. Then there's three klipas atmeos which are described in the vision of Yecheskel as a roch sa'ara, as a, as, a as, a, as a howling wind and a dark cloud. And there's three, three different types these conceal God so much that we're not able to directly deal with them. But if we do directly deal with them, and then that fuels our teshuva, that spark gets extracted and elevated, and that is an even higher place than the sparks that are extracted from our Vodasabi room. And that's why we say that their place where a Balchiva stands, even a tzaddik cannot stand there. Because he has been raised up from his sins. And the force and the power and the yearning for Hashem that comes from that place of sin is more powerful than the desire, than the love for God of a tzaddik. A tzaddik loves from having. He has God, so he loves God. A balchuva loves God from wanting God. And we've discussed this before, that the wanting of God is more powerful than the having of him. So the tzaddik would be the one who has the million dollars that he's running towards, right? And the balchuva would be the one with the fire licking at his feet. The balchuva is going to run faster. He's going to get to the line quicker. That is Avodah Satshuva. We've spoken about this before. And Avodah Satshuva, according to many places in Hasidus, why did the Neshama, especially when you're learning Elo, why did the Neshama come down into this world to do Teshuva? Okay? So we've done three levels so far. Torah and Mitzvahs, Avodah Sabirurim, which is physical Mitzvahs, and knowing God in all your ways, Behold, Rechecha De'ehu, 
knowing God in every part of your life. And then we have Teshuvah. There's a fourth level. And that fourth level is called Nisyonus. Nisyonus means tests. We say every single morning in the brachas, La lavi lidei nisayon. God, do not bring me to a test. How do you spell that again? Nisayon, nun samach yud vav nun. Nisayon. The word nes, the root word of the word nisayon is nun samach nes, has many meanings. Nes means a miracle. Yeah. Nes means a banner. Lanus means to run away, to flee. And nes means a test, nisayon. Ness means a punishment? Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. We, 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 actually, we learned a little bit about the Akita recently, and it it says there was a, Nisa. There was an opinion that. Abraham um, or something? Yeah, there's an opinion that the, it's not a test. It was a punishment. Yeah. They were giving away land. Yeah. Well, all right. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to learn the. This is true. There are, there are 70, you know, there's 70 expansions for everything. Uh, more than 70. <laughs> um, we're going to be learning Hasidus' version of tests and of Avram's tests, which is connected the most to the translation of a banner. Of a banner. What do you do with a banner? Also, like the master of a ship is called a nes. That which you raise up to publicize to the world. A sign. Nes, a sign, a banner. That Hashem wanted to actually raise Avram up and use him as a sign to the whole world. Okay. But that happened through a test. Now, what is a test? A test does not mean a challenge. Okay? Um, there was once somebody who wrote to the Rebbe, I have many problems. And the Rebbe responded, you don't have any problems, only challenges. Okay? A challenge is something that you can overcome. You have to stop. You have to pause. You have to think. You have to plan. You have to execute. And you can overcome this challenge. And the scion, a test, is not solvable. It's an impossibility. According to Hasidus, okay? According to Hasidus, there's this concept comes up from the altar, but all the way through, all the Rebbe mentioned this idea of Nisayon is an impossible test. It's a test that is impossible to overcome. The biggest example, there are many that Hasidus brings, is Akedas Yitzchak. Hashem promised Avram that he's going to have a nation, the Jewish nation is going to come from him. And then he didn't have the Jewish child that he was supposed to have. And he waited and he waited and waited, he just couldn't have children. And finally he had a child and his child was raised up. And then this child didn't have any children, right? Uh, Yitzchak was not married with any children when Hashem came to him. This is the son who was supposed to have his whole nation come from him. And he says, sacrifice him, kill him. Not only the son who you love so much, who you waited for, right, to kill him, but also he has no children kill off this dream, this promise that I've given you, that you're going to have a nation come from you. That's an impossibility. It's an, it's an impossibility. What are you supposed to do? And an even higher example that's brought is that on the way to the Akedah, because Avram passed all of his tests, right? That's why he's called Avram Ayhavi, Avram who I love. Hashem loves Avram. He passed all of his tests. On the way to the Akedah, the Satan was like, no way that Avram's actually doing this. I'm going to mess up with him. What did, the, what did the Satan do? On his way to going to the Akeda, he made a sea just appear. A sea, an ocean, water, in front of Avram, on his way. It's a medrash. 
He was walking, walking, walking. I think it might even be Rashi. I could be mistaken, but I think it, it might even be brought in Rashi, but it's supposed to be measured. Avram was walking, walking. The Satan came and he made a sea in front of him. What are you supposed to do when you're confronted? He didn't have a boat, right? So what did Avram do? He just walked straight through until he was about to drown. It's up to here. And the, the sea just disappeared. Because the only way that you can actually overcome a test, which is an impossibility, is by acting in a way that's beyond logic, is by returning, responding with an impossibility, is by just going through. And the, the Rebbe brings that actually the test of the Yidden in Soviet Russia was considered a test. So most of the things, almost all of the things that we think of as challenges, as that are hard, that God gives us, that God tests us with, are not actually tests because they're not an impossibility. If we, if we work, if we think about it long enough and we strategize properly and we plan and we, we raise ourselves up, we can overcome it. A test is an example of the Jews in Soviet Russia. Malki, I think I was telling you about, um, about my great-great-grandfather, right, in Russia. The Jews in Russia were told, if you live as a Jew, you will be killed, right? You will, you're, by other Jews. By other Jews, <laughs> exactly. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? My, so my great-great-grandfather lived in Russia during Soviet communist times. He was a myhel. You weren't allowed to do a bris, like no way. And he used to do brisim because... Jewish boys need brisim, right? And he sacrificed his life for it because they caught him and they took him away. And they ended up killing him three months later, but they didn't know for over 20 years what happened to him. My great-great-grandmother was an aguna. She was a, uh, how do you say an aguna in English? Uh, chained. She was chained. Yeah, she was chained down because she, she wasn't able to marry anyone else because they, they didn't know what happened to her husband. Um, so, so she was left, her name was Mariasha, with six children, little children, my great-grandfather was 12 when his father was taken away. And he was, I think, the second or third oldest. So, and there were many under him. Little children. They had a house. And the authorities came. They said, if you don't send your children to school, school meant programming, propaganda, your children are going to turn into, um, into Soviet Russian. Like, that's what school was. If you don't send your kids to school, we're taking away your house. What are you supposed to do? That's an impossible test. And almost everybody ended up sending their kids to school. And those kids, almost all of them, no longer saw themselves as Jewish by the end of communist Russia. These people's grandchildren were very, very often not Jewish. Their great-grandchildren, for sure not. My great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother, said, no, I'm not sending my kids to school. They said, we're gonna kick you. No, they kicked them out in the freezing cold, middle of the winter, took their house away, kicked them out. She had no husband, she had six little children, and they went to live in the back of a shul, in the women's section of a shul in the back, tiny, 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 all her and her six children, and many, many stories and miracles and how they ended up getting out, and all six children, Baruch Hashem, survived, and she got out as well and lived in um, Crown Heights. She died at the age of 106, and she had over 600 living descendants, not including those who had been married in by the time she passed away. And she told the story that she had a friend, a cousin, I think it was, who said to her, you're crazy. You're crazy. Send your kids to school. Like, you're crazy. 
she didn't understand her at all. And this cousin also ended up coming to America. And this cousin would later tell her that you're right. I don't have any, my son became a communist, didn't marry Jew. I don't have any Jewish, I don't have any children that are in touch with me. I don't have any Jewish grandchildren. You were right. And the test that Jews faced in Russia was an impossible test. It was impossible. The only way you were able to overcome it was just by going straight through. And the, what does that look like? What does going straight through a test look like? Mysterious Nefesh. Mysterious Nefesh. The Rebbe Rashab once asked the Friedrich Rebbe, his son, his only child, who he poshed sacrificed, like Akedas Yitzchak, gave him up for the community, like totally. He asked him once, if you are standing and there's a brick wall in front of you and you need to get through, what do you do? You go under, there's no way under. You go on over, there's no way over. There's no way. Completely fenced up. What do you do? So you take your head and you smash it against the brick wall until you make a hole and you go through. That, and, he, and he said, that's mysterious nefesh. When we have something, a test, which we say every morning, Tasha, do not give us tests, okay? There's a brick wall in front of us. It's black. It's dark, okay? It's darker than the klipa that's hiding within klipa snoga, and it's even darker than the kadusha that's tied down in the gimel klipa satmeas. It's black. There's no spark there. When we're talking about an isayan, we're talking about a brick wall where there is no light. And you're confronted with that. The only way is through. The only way is by raising yourself up above it. And that looks like mysterious nefesh. The Rebbe says, the Soviets, their mysterious nefesh was literally, they had to lay down their lives. Not the Soviets, the Yidin in the time of the Soviet Union. And the Friedrich Rebbe famously gathered together 10 Hasidim, one of which was my husband's great-grandfather, Ben Sien Shemtov. And he said to them, we're making a promise now. We're going to spread Yiddishkeit in Russia at any cost. And they all pleasure they were really going to go to the point that they were going to sacrifice their lives. And unfortunately, many of them did not make it out of Soviet Russia alive. That was the test of Soviet Russia. The Rebbe says, what was the test of today? We're going to continue with this tomorrow, okay? We're going to be learning a mimer about tests and about what a test is and how we're supposed to react to tests and where the elevation comes from in a test and why a test is actually the purpose of why we came down here into this world. But I'll finish off with this for today, that there's a mimer, um, the Rebbe said this many times, but there's a beautiful mimer, Padre B'Shalom, where the Rebbe says that the mysterious nefesh of this generation, what's the mysterious nefesh of this generation? What's the banging your head a brick, against a brick wall of our generation? It's not laying our lives down for being Jewish. I was just like keeping mitzvahs. So he says, it's payesh mipnei hamaligim, not to be embarrassed by those who laugh at you. That that's the mysterious nefesh of this generation. And we'll, I think I'm, it's one of my favorite my mom. So maybe we'll learn it at some point. Maybe we'll just learn the end because the beginning is like a lot um, where the Rebbe discusses that there. That, yeah, the, the altar Rebbe says, Torah and mitzvahs is already Mr. Snefesh because you don't have to do it and you're doing it. It's Mr. Snefesh. But the Rebbe say, takes that a step further and says, not being embarrassed by those who laugh at you. And usually the, the people you're most embarrassed of is the people you're closest to or the people who are actually from just like you who say, uh, you're being a little too from, right? That's usually when it gets the hardest. Not to be embarrassed and to keep going. That's actually the mysterious nefesh of this generation. It's an impossible challenge. It's an impossible challenge that we have to raise ourselves up to overcome. So 
we're going to continue talking about this um, tomorrow in the Mimer. But I just wanted to elaborate and go through the four, the four purposes for why we're here. And the, fifth, and the fourth one is Nisoyanus. And a Nisoyan is we're confronting something that is black. It's not Gimokliposetmes. It has a tiny spot that's chained down that maybe through Teshuvah can be raised up. It's black. There's nothing there to elevate. Nothing. The only thing that ends up can get elevated and raised up is yourself. And so that's what we're going to discuss. Okay, that's the mimer that we're going to learn. And uh, speak about Nisoyanus. Okay, definitely also relevant to this time. So, so we're going to be learning. It's from 1951, which is the first year of the Rebbe's Nisias. Rebbe said this mimer in Tamas. Um, it's based on a mimer from the previous Rebbe. And um, then the Rebbe then later in, I think it's the 60s, said a mimer again with the same with the same Divra Maskal and elaborated on even more and actually spoke about um, Eretz Yisrael there. So maybe I'll bring it in a little bit. It's very long that we're not going to learn it. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about this mimer. I was like thinking, what am I going to teach? And then I was like, oh, okay, that's Yitzchak. Okay, we're going to learn about, um, we're going to learn about Nisyonis. Okay, according to Hasidus. So yeah, I'm excited. Uh, it's a short mimer, by the way. So you'll see it's a short mimer. We'll finish it 